0: What if bridges could talk to you? What would they say? Is it possible to 3D print a heart? These are the types of questions that Carnegie Mellon engineering researchers are trying to answer from many angles. This podcast series will bring them all together. In this episode of Make It Real, we'll be talking about sensors. Not the sensors measuring your driving speed or the sensors in your home's thermostat. We're talking about sensors being used in completely new ways. For example, there's a team of researchers here at Carnegie Mellon using sensors to monitor the structural health of bridges and train tracks. What if bridges could talk? And what would they say? It turns out bridges can talk, metaphorically of course, with the help of sensors. And they're saying things like, I'm structurally sound, it's safe to drive on me, or I need repair right now. But this Carnegie Mellon team isn't doing this by embedding sensors on the bridges and tracks themselves. With over 600,000 bridges and over 230,000 miles of train tracks in the United States alone, that would be quite an undertaking.
1: There are cars, that are going over these bridges all the time. And they're all equipped like, you know, our iPhones have accelerometers inside. All the cars have this inside already. Why don't we use this to collect the data and then based on this data see if we can tell something about the health of the bridges. My name is Jelena Kovacevic I'm the department head of electrical and computer engineering at Carnegie Mellon.
0: Professor Kovacevic works with a team of researchers to implement tiny sensors on trains that can monitor the health of its tracks based on vibrations. These sensors constantly monitor the tracks during normal operation.
2: So we put sensors on the Pittsburgh light rail system. They're probably in diameter the size of a quarter, and we've been collecting data uh, over the course of the last year and a half. My name is George Letterman. I'm a third year PhD student in advanced infrastructure systems. Typically, you think of um, before a maintenance activity, the the state of the infrastructure is bad, and then after the maintenance activity, the state is good. So if you're able to differentiate between those two, presumably you could do the reverse, and you could say, okay, now maintenance has been done, now it's in a good state, and then after a period of time, it would become in in a deteriorated state, and then you'd be able to tell, okay, now this is the time to do the maintenance. So what we're looking at at the moment is ways that they could optimize the maintenance regime.
0: George says that current inspection methods, visual inspection or by driving an inspection vehicle on the tracks, those methods are too disruptive, too slow, and don't occur often enough. He says these onboard sensors are inexpensive, give lots of data, and transit traffic doesn't need to be interrupted.
2: There's a tunnel which goes under Mount Washington. And this is a a right-of-way which is shared by both buses and uh, trains. And there's this one drain where when the buses went over it, they would actually cause the drain to slide around. And sometimes this this drain would get in the groove where actually the train tires have to go. And so when the buses would hit this drain to the side and the trains would come along, they would like bang into it. And we could see this very clearly, this banging. And the conductors of the trains reported it, and they ultimately removed the drain and put it in another section of track where the buses wouldn't interfere with it. But we actually saw that banging sooner than the conductors reported it. So these kind of things are exciting. I'm standing here at the South Hills Village Station. The train with our sensors aboard is just pulling through. Every noise you hear, every bang, it's hitting a joint or it's hitting the rail. If over time the rail deteriorates, that noise will change, and we'll be able to detect those changes in the signal.
0: Since most smartphones have accelerometers, which measure vibrations, George
2: says there's potential for crowdsourcing. So you just have someone on the train riding to work, and their phone would be feeling the vibrations in the train. And then we could aggregate data from lots of different cell phones all on the train, and we could see if there are changes that need to be addressed on the train. So we go to the train company and for free, you know, tell them the kind of work that they should be doing at at that moment.
0: The applications of sensors are countless. Some CMU professors are monitoring energy use in homes to make them more energy efficient. Others are using sensors to sense walking patterns of the elderly population, potentially leading to early warning signs of illness. These are just a few examples of many, too many to fit into one episode of Make It Real. There is one professor though, who's using sensors to tackle another major problem in today's world, air pollution. I'm Chinese, I go to
1: China often enough. The air does have a distinct texture. (laughs) You know, at the ground level, at the level where I'm breathing, how bad is it?
0: That's Professor Pei Zhang.
1: I'm Associate Research Professor at Carnegie Mellon University in the Electrical Computer Engineering Department.
0: And he wants to figure out a way to measure air pollution levels, a way that's better and cheaper than what's currently done.
1: You're probably familiar with the current sensing technology, which in essence is a couple million dollar worth of sensor that um, you put maybe a couple in a city. that's probably all you can afford. And these sensors uh, tend to be placed in very high places, you know, very places where people can disrupt them, which are not really places where people are,
0: where people are breathing the air. So Professor Zhang thought, rather than monitoring the city's air pollution using a few really expensive instruments, why not put a lot of inexpensive sensors around the city? He thought attaching them to vehicles that drive all over, like taxi cabs, that would yield the largest coverage.
1: The sensors are nice because now they're at pretty much nose level. They're at the
0: streets where people usually are breathing the bad air or good air, hopefully. Professor Zhang is collaborating with Professor Lin Zhang at Tsinghua University, and they have these sensors deployed on around 100 taxis in China right now. They're hoping to quadruple that number by the end of summer. Together with multiple taxis, then
1: we can start inferring the pollution field of a particular city. And once we can start doing that, we can do both the uh, spatial domain uh, inferencing, how your local pollution level is, and also the time domain. How is your local uh, pollution level over time, Uh, at 1 p.m., at 2 p.m., at 3 p.m.?
0: Working with the Chinese government, Zhang hopes that these will help expedite the process of fixing China's air pollution problem. Once we have this whole database
1: of sensing information, we can then start looking at where are the pollution
0: sources, where are they coming from? The recent emergence of sensors may be the beginning of a new era of information in which information like vibrations in deteriorating train tracks or air pollution levels in highly polluted cities, it's being collected in ways that we've never seen before. Here's civil and environmental engineering professor Mario Burgess. He uses sensors to measure real-time energy consumption in buildings.
1: In the same way that... A microscope allows you to look at phenomena that were completely invisible to people before. This is sort of like a a macroscope. So it allows you to look at phenomena that are occurring in the world, physical or otherwise, and uh, it provides you with the tool to actually measure those things more accurately and deploy experiments and do all these things.
0: So whether they're tracking air pollution over large cities or monitoring the health of America's huge network of bridges and train tracks, These new macroscopes are here, and they're so new that the instruction manual on how to use them, it's still being written. But already we're starting to see their huge potential in solving big problems in the world. This podcast has been brought to you by Carnegie Mellon University's College of Engineering. I'm Daniel Tachik.